Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet hey, is on the phone. Here. We. It is Tuesday, November 30th, 2021, people. And let me just tell you this. So, on Sunday's show, Monday's show, I told you, I said, look, here's the deal. We're going to do a bonus episode of the Aerator Sports Podcast, and we're going to dedicate it all to college hoops. I haven't given college hoops enough love on this show. It's time to respect college hoops. Respect Mick Cronin. Respect Rick Barnes. Respect Rick Pitino. When I said that, I was not anticipating that Brian freaking Kelly was going to be named the head coach at LSU. So forgive me, but for the second day in a row, the rundown has been blown up. Now, we will still do college hoops at the end. You have my word. But we're obviously going to open with Brian Kelly going to LSU. Sorry, Gonzaga fans. You're going to have to wait. Brian Kelly is the head coach at LSU. That is how we're going to open up the show. We'll talk about why I actually like the hire, why I think he could work there, why I think he might have success there. Um what Notre Dame is possibly going to do. I think that's kind of an interesting angle on this. From there, we'll hit on a little bit of Spencer Rattler. Uh, I told you this during college basketball season, but the transfer portal is officially a thing. It is officially a topic on shows like this. And Spencer Rattler is now in the transfer portal. And I spent the last couple weeks talking to people around college football. Where could this kid end up? He is the former number one high school quarterback in America who, of course, played at Oklahoma the last few years. So I will give you some thoughts on where Spencer Rattler could end up in the transfer portal. Then finally... We will get to some college basketball. I was at Gonzaga Duke last week. We'll talk a little bit about that. And just some other Feast Week thoughts from across college basketball. Final 25 minutes or so of the show dedicated to college. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And you know darn well what the topic of the day is. And before we even get to Brian Kelly and LSU, let me say this. So I woke up on Monday morning and and something struck me, right? Something hit me as I woke up Monday morning, and that was this. When I woke up Monday morning, I'm sure a lot of you felt the same way. I felt like it was like a hangover after a long weekend. And I know we are coming off a literal long weekend, so maybe some of you really were hungover, in which case I hope you had a great Thanksgiving weekend. But it was a metaphorical hangover too, 
because when I started to think about the last couple months, this coaching carousel stuff really started back in early September when USC fired Clay Helton. And then from there, LSU fires their coach. And then from there, Virginia Tech fires their coach. And then Washington's involved and Florida's involved. And you start to look up and you start to realize these jobs are starting to get filled. And so when I woke up Monday morning, it was kind of like rubbing my eyes like, whoa, that was crazy. And then you realize LSU is not open or is still open. And they do not have a head coaching position. Their head coaching position is not filled. And you kind of sit there and say, what is going on at LSU? And I know for some of you who maybe don't follow college football 365 days a year, like to me, when LSU woke up Monday morning and their head coaching job was not filled, it struck me as only one of two things could be happening. Either they have completely whiffed on all their candidates, maybe Lincoln Riley was number one, and they are just in desperation mode and don't know where to go. Or two, they must be going after somebody that still has something to play for this weekend. And the immediate names that come to mind are Luke Fickle, who already said he's coming back, Dave Aranda, who reportedly was never even contacted by LSU. Obviously, it's not going to be Nick Saban, Kirby Smart. And so you start to sit there and say, who could they possibly be going after? Because the thing is, right, like, like I know some of you are probably sitting there saying, well, why does it have to be somebody that's coaching this weekend? Well, the reason why is pretty simple. In the new era of recruiting, you cannot waste any time by taking your time making a coaching hire. And so if you wait to make a coaching hire, every single day that you are not on the road recruiting, two things happen. One, your competition is. Lane Kiffin was tweeting from the road recruiting earlier this week. Uh, Mark Stoops, I saw, sending out tweets from the road recruiting this week. Josh Heupel, Tennessee, recruiting from the road this week. And so I bring that up because all of your competition is on the road, and anyone that may be committed to you is starting to kind of scratch their head, say, what is going on with this school that I want to go to? Anyone that's considering you, you are just giving leverage to the other schools to go out and get your recruits. And so when I woke up Monday morning, I was like, what is LSU doing? Because they're either in complete no man's land or they got some big rabbit in their hat. Well, as it turns out, that rabbit's pretty big and his name is Brian Kelly and about 5 o'clock Eastern time, I believe. That was the first report of Brian Kelly might be interested, and I actually did a preview of it uh, for tomorrow's podcast. And then as soon as I hit play, uh, Brian Kelly officially named the LSU head coach. So let's talk about it. Let's break it down. First of all, let me just say this. Scott Woodward, you devil you. Because I'll tell you this. Uh, I've been telling you for four, five, six months, I have said that Scott Woodward is the most aggressive AD in college sports. I have said that he's not going to take no for an answer, that money is of no issue, and that he is going to get a head coaching candidate that he believes can compete at the highest levels of college football. I've told you many times, he is from Louisiana. He went to LSU. When he got this LSU head AD job, he knew that his entire life was building up towards this hire, and that on top of it, not only was his entire life building up towards this hire, but that his entire career was going to be built on this hire. He has had a ton of success hiring coaches before. Jimbo Fisher, he hired at Texas A&M. Chris Peterson, he hired at Washington. Kim Mulkey, three-time national championship winning basketball coach, he hired at LSU when he got there. But if he did not get this hire, if he came back to the LSU faithful with Bill O'Brien or somebody of that ilk, it was going to be considered a complete disaster. And on top of that, what was really crazy about this entire process was this was the idea that there were some really good candidates that were publicly interested in the job that he was not even considering for interviews. 
So Billy Napier, who is now the Florida head coach, made it very publicly clear. I am going to wait until LSU makes a decision before I make any decision on what I'm doing as my next coaching job if I decide to leave Louisiana Lafayette. And I know it's Louisiana, but it's Louisiana Lafayette. LSU, by all reports, did not even contact him. Dave Aranda, who is apparently ready to stay at Baylor, LSU did not even contact him, and this was a national championship winning defensive coordinator. And so you knew they're not even calling these guys. They're not even contacting these guys. And so now you know they have to have somebody big, and they better get him. And I'll be honest, I thought it was Lincoln Riley. I thought they, they whiffed, and I thought they were in scramble mode. But Scott Woodward, you little devil, you, you did it again. So now what you're doing is you're bringing Brian Kelly. Just think about this at the most basic level. Brian Kelly is the winningest coach in the history of Notre Dame football. And LSU just hired him away. We could talk about Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley is going to be the best hire of the, of the cycle just because of how he's going to be able to recruit and the ties and the young and the quarterbacks and this and that. But just think about it at the most basic level. LSU just hired away the most successful coach in the history of Notre Dame football. They got him. Brian Kelly is their guy. And so let's break it down and let's talk about it because I think this is a really good hire. Because I believe, and I've truly believed this for years, Brian Kelly is one of the five best coaches in college football. He doesn't have the mantle and the resume of Nick Saban. He doesn't have the, the, the trophies that Dabo Sweeney does. But as I've told you for years, I think what he is doing at Notre Dame remains one of the single most unappreciated things in college football. And I know what some of you say, Torres, they have their own TV deal. They play on national TV. Well, guess what? Everybody plays every single game on national TV. I'm a UConn alum. UConn was the worst team in FBS football this year, and every single one of their games is on national TV. So I don't really care that Notre Dame has its own national TV schedule. Oh, well, Notre Dame recruits nationally. Well, I don't really care that Notre Dame recruits nationally. You know who else recruits nationally? Literally everyone. You know where Alabama's quarterback is from? California. You know where Georgia's quarterback was, the starting quarterback in night, night one was from? California. You know where one of their best running backs is from? California. So don't tell me that Notre Dame has all these advantages. They literally, in the modern era of college football, I would argue have fewer advantages than most schools. Now they have some. That ACC heavy schedule works out very nicely for them. But what I have said for years is that Brian Kelly, what he is doing at Notre Dame, I believe is one of the best coaching jobs in all of college football. Because I truly believe that in 2021, there is no reason that Notre Dame should be competing for national championships. Again, all the advantages that you think Notre Dame has, they're not really advantages. Oh, they play on national TV. They have their own contract. Alabama's on TV every week. Everyone from Alabama to UConn is on national TV every week. That's not a, a big deal. Oh, they, recruited the, they, they recruit nationally. Yeah, so does Alabama. So does Georgia. So does uh, Clemson. Clemson's best wide receiver this year, Joseph Ngata, is from California. Doesn't matter. Whoa! They have, they're really good academically. Yeah, I actually think that hurts them. And so when I look at Brian Kelly, this is what Brian Kelly was doing the last 12 years at Notre Dame. Brian Kelly took a very relevant brand nationally and historically that had not been as good in recent years. And he built them into one of the five best programs in college football. It wasn't Alabama, wasn't Georgia, wasn't Clemson, wasn't Ohio State, but it was right there. And what I think Brian Kelly has done is incredible because as I've said for many years there is no reason just think about this at the most basic level there is no reason that a small catholic school in Indiana 
with no recruiting base should be as good as Brian Kelly has him. Just think about it. Alabama, big state school, ton of high school talent. They win national championships. Clemson, big state school. In South Carolina, you know, kind of uh, population-wise, population density-wise, one of the most, you know, uh, biggest high school football hotbeds in America. Ohio State, it goes without saying. Notre Dame has none of that. It is a small Catholic school. I've talked about the disadvantages before. I mean, everything from they don't even have co-ed dorms at Notre Dame, okay? The academic standards are real. The players that Brian Kelly can recruit or could recruit previously at Notre Dame, he he can't recruit the same guys that Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson can recruit, let alone USC, Texas, and Miami who aren't nearly as good as him. And so the fact that he has a program that is just as good as basically everybody other than Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State, to me is incredible because he's not recruiting the same players. It's almost like he's playing a different sport, and he's almost got a program as good as Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, whatever. They didn't get over the hump, but they got really, really, really close. Just think about the last four years at Notre Dame, okay? So Brian Kelly's been there 12 years, and there's been ups and downs, peaks and valleys, whatever. Uh, culminating with a four and eight season in 2016. 2017, they go 10 and three. Here are the last four years of Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. Brian Kelly went 12 and one in 2018, made the playoff, lost to Trevor Lawrence and Clemson. 2019, went 11 and two. 2020, last year, started 10 and 0, made the playoff, lost in the ACC championship game, lost in the playoff to Clemson and Alabama. 2021, he is 11 and one. And so you just do some quick mental math here. And I'm not great at math. Brian Kelly is 44 and 6 at a small Catholic school in Indiana over the last 4 years in college football with two playoff appearances. 43 and 2 against everybody other than Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia. Now take that and think about the fact that he is now going to LSU which per capita, Louisiana, may be the best recruiting state in the country. Now, it's not better than Georgia. It's not better than California. But it's really, really, really close. And they're the only Power 5 school in the country. And you go back and look. You can criticize Coach O for a lot of things. You can criticize Coach O for what he didn't do after he won the national championship. The one thing that you cannot criticize Coach O for That man, even in the darkest times, he recruited his you-know-what off. I mean, just think about it at its most basic level. Last year, LSU, coming off of a 5-5 season, no bowl game, all sorts of stuff going on. You know what LSU had last year? They had the number three recruiting class in the country, including two five-stars and 14 four stars. That is absurd. That is absurd. And when you look at the state of Louisiana, which had, oh, by the way, they had how many? I'm trying to count here. They had 11, four or five stars. LSU got like nine of them. And this was in a down year. I think it's closer to seven, but you get the point. That was in 2021 coming off of a five and five season. The year before coming off of a national championship season, LSU had the number four recruiting class in the country. In 2019, they had the number five recruiting class in the country. So Coach O, who nobody claimed, was like Vince Lombardi, 
Lincoln Riley, and X is an O savant, and yes, I just compared Lincoln Riley to, to, to Vince Lombardi, that guy signed three top five classes. If Coach O can do that, imagine what a guy that knows how to maximize talent can do. Now, obviously, it's going to be a cultural adjustment. Obviously, it's going to be a little bit different. Obviously, it goes without saying the schedule is going to get much tougher. But if I had told you going into this LSU fans, forget name, brand, this, that, whatever. You're going to get a coach that has been to multiple national uh, or multiple college football playoffs. You're signing up for that in a heartbeat. And he did it in a in a situation where I still believe his situation. I, I think, let me put it this way. I think Notre Dame is probably one of like, you know, like it's a great job. But let me ask you this. Where would you rather coach? Texas or Notre Dame? It's probably Texas, right? Big city, big state, a lot of recruiting. When's the last time Texas has been relevant? USC, they got Lincoln Riley, but when's the last time they've been relevant? Definitely a better job than Notre Dame. I would argue Penn State. I would argue uh, Miami, Florida State. You go on and on down the list of all the programs that have not had nearly the success of Brian Kelly, who got outcoached and outplayed by Brian Kelly. And so I could go on and on and on and on and on, and we'll have plenty of time, and I'm sure on Wednesday, on our show on Wednesday, we'll have some time to react to that. But that's my biggest takeaway. This dude made multiple national championship, multiple college football playoffs, 44-6 and six over the last four seasons. If you want to go even further, 54-9 and 54 and nine, dating back to the 28-2017 season. So I just think this is such a home run. I just think it's such a home run. And now I think what's equally as interesting, what does, LSC, what does Notre Dame do? Um, you know, the obvious name, first of all, what does Notre Dame do, by the way, if Cincinnati and Oklahoma lose this weekend and they make the college football playoff? I mean, just think about that. That's insanity. If Notre Dame, if Cincinnati and Alabama and Oklahoma State all lose, Notre Dame is probably going to be the college football playoff with an interim head coach, something that we couldn't have even conceived of uh, even 24 to 48 hours ago. Beyond that, I don't know who the candidates are. How do you, do you want to replace the winningest coach in the history of Notre Dame football? Because I sure don't. A guy that's made two playoffs? Because I sure don't. There's really only three names that come to mind. I think only one will move the needle for Notre Dame fans. The first one uh, is Luke Fickle. I don't think he's coming. I think he's staying at Cincinnati. Now, he said, you know, the, the, the rumors have been basically it's either Ohio State or Notre Dame. Those are the only two schools that he would ever consider. But if they make the playoff, I don't think Notre Dame can wait until January 5th to make a hire. So you have that aspect of it. From there, on top of that, you have the scenario where, um, you know, Marcus Freeman, their defensive coordinator, I think he's a guy that many people thought would be a guy two, three, four, five years down the road when Brian Kelly retires. That's a guy. I don't think that's going to move the needle. And the only other one that comes to mind, and you're going to laugh, but we all know that Urban Meyer coveted that Notre Dame job forever. Now, I think with his background and what he's done the last probably 10, 12, 15 years, uh, between Florida, between uh, Ohio State, between uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Dirty Dancing Havana Nights with a woman that's not his wife. I don't think he's a realistic candidate, but but I don't even know where to think with the Notre Dame head coaching job. We'll think about it. We'll talk about it on Tuesday, on Wednesday's show. But you talk about a bombshell. Brian Kelly is your new LSU head football coach. All right, let's do one more Football topic before we get to basketball, and it is the transfer portal. And I'll just say this really quick, is that it, last spring, if you remember about April or May, 
I said that the transfer portal is now officially a topic. If you love college sports and you listen to Sports Talk Radio, Sirius XM, the Aaron Torres podcast, whatever, the transfer portal is officially a topic in a way that it wasn't even two or three years ago. And the reason why is very simple. This is a game-changing thing in both college football and college basketball. You no longer have to wait on freshmen. You no longer have to wait on the unknown. You can go out fill a hole, it is college football free agency, and find impact players right away. I think we have already seen the impact of the one-time transfer rule before it was even officially implemented this year when you look across college football and Kenneth Walker at Michigan State is a Heisman Trophy candidate. He obviously came from Wake Forest. Jamison Williams is probably going to be a first-round pick uh, from Alabama. He came from Ohio State. So we are already seeing the impact, and now that the season is over, the floodgates are open and the transfers are pouring in. No shortage of guys enter the transfer portal throughout the week, or no transfer por- guys enter the transfer portal throughout the day on Monday. And so I want, what I want to do is I want to hit on the single biggest guy that hit, in, hit the transfer portal on Monday, and that is, of course, Spencer Rattler, the former quarterback at Oklahoma. Now, this wasn't surprising. It wasn't unexpected. Uh, in some ways, I thought the Lincoln-Riley move may keep him at Oklahoma a little while longer. I thought it might make sense for him to stay, see who the new head coach is. See, frankly, if Caleb Williams follows uh, Lincoln-Riley to USC, and if he does, maybe it made sense for Spencer Rattler to consider staying at Oklahoma. But instead, he has decided to enter the portal. He will look for a new school. And I think he is going to be the single most high-profile player that hits the transfer portal all offseason. Now, I do think it's worth noting with Spencer Rattler one thing. For all the criticism that he took, and I, and I should mention, I think everybody knows the background, but number one high school quarterback in America, 2019, sat behind Jalen Hurts, last year became the full-time starter. And what I was going to say is for all the criticism of Spencer Rattler, I think it's easy to forget one thing. He was actually pretty good last year as a full-time starter at Oklahoma during the 2020 COVID season. Now, he wasn't great, lost two of his first three games, but by the end of the season, Oklahoma won the Big 12 championship, Oklahoma went to the Cotton Bowl, and Spencer Rattler was a big reason why. 28 touchdowns, seven interceptions, last season threw for over 3,000 yards, 68% completion percentage. That sounds like a pretty good quarterback for all of the scorn that he has taken. And this year, despite losing the job to Caleb Williams, and it was, of course, the right decision. I'm not saying it wasn't. He completed 75% of his passes this year for 1,400 yards, 11 touchdowns. So we're, we're talking about Spencer Rattler as if like he's this lost cause. I, I think he could be really good. I just think for whatever reason it did not work out at Oklahoma. And never forget, Oklahoma had the number one quarterback in America sitting behind him, where if he was at literally any other school, he probably would have gotten more of an opportunity to continue to play at Oklahoma and maybe play through his problems. I also do understand that, that it, we can't sugarcoat it either. You know, this was a guy that did struggle. Oklahoma's offense did not look the same. I think it's fair to say that if you can't succeed under Lincoln Riley, who can he succeed under? But again, I think the stats were a little bit misleading in terms of, um, you know, he won essentially every game that he started as quarterback at Oklahoma this season as they started out whatever they did, 9-0 and to start the season. But I just bring this all up to say I think some of the stuff that we say about him is a little bit unfair. I do understand there's also the off-the-field stuff. Netflix did a, a documentary called QB1. He was part of it. He did not always come off looking well. So I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to say it's perfect. But he is the biggest name player in the transfer portal. And I think it's going to be really interesting to monitor this thing going forward. Now, in terms of where he's going to go next, I think there's a few schools to consider. And again, this is what we do now in the new world of transfer portal stuff. When Kofi Coburn entered the transfer portal, I talked Kofi Coburn. When Marcus Carr entered the transfer portal in basketball, I talked Marcus Carr. 
Walker Kessler, uh, Kellen Grady, whatever. And I'm going to do the same here with Spencer Rattler. And over the last few weeks, knowing that Spencer Rattler was going to enter the portal, I went ahead and made a few phone calls, tried to figure out what are some realistic schools, which aren't. And what I would say is this, is there are a couple schools that immediately come to mind when it comes to Spencer Rattler. The first one is actually Arizona State. And for people who don't know, Spencer Rattler is from the Phoenix area. He is from uh, Phoenix exactly area, obviously. And for people who don't know the geography, Arizona State is in Tempe, which is right next to Phoenix. So he's from the area. He could go home. And there's a few interesting developments at Arizona State. First of all, Herm Edwards is going to be back in 2022. Now, I never really understood why people were so convinced that he wasn't returning. Uh, for people who don't know the relationship there, he and the AD are basically tied at the hip, where if the AD admitted, if the AD fired Herm Edwards for these, these NCAA rules violations, he would basically be admitting that it was an incompetent hire and that he probably should lose his job as well. So I'm not totally surprised that Herm Edwards is back, but obviously there are NCAA rules violations. But Spencer Rattler, who's only going to be there hopefully for one year, I don't think he cares about that I think it's a pretty good landing spot uh you know this is an Arizona State team that is good but not great uh they probably are yeah, coming into the year there was a lot of hype I didn't really buy the hype in large part because I didn't really love the quarterback Jaden Daniels and it's no disrespect to that kid but Arizona State goes eight and four this despite having the 97th ranked passing attack in college football this despite their fact that their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, completed just 66% of his passes, 10 touchdowns in 12 games. And whether he decides to stay himself, whether he decides to transfer, I don't think he would try to go pro. He does have one year left. But I think Arizona State, they can compete for Pac-12 titles in this Pac-12. Maybe not with Lincoln Riley anymore, but it kind of makes sense for Arizona State to pursue this kid. Now, for Spencer Rattler's perspective, I think it's the best fit. Again, winning culture, former NFL head coach, a system that's kind of a pro-style-ish system. Obviously, a great running back in Rashad White, who is projected. Uh, no, excuse me, Rashad White is a senior. I take that back. So he probably will not be back next year. But I just bring it up to say, NFL style, defense, ground game, run attack. You don't have to do too much. Just come in and do what you do. I think he could have success there, and he's going home. He'd be, you know, kind of in, in his home base. Obviously, it would be interesting. Lincoln Riley, of course, he would be facing at some point next year with Arizona State and USC being in the same division. But I think that's the logical first landing spot. The second one, I think, is super obvious as well. It's Ole Miss. Because Ole Miss has the ultimate QB whisperer outside of Lincoln Riley, maybe Ryan Day, and that's our buddy Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin is a rock star. Lane Kiffin is a stud. And it, uh, I don't think we give Lane Kiffin enough credit for how good he's been. He went to Alabama, and in four different seasons at Alabama, I believe four different starting quarterbacks made the playoff in all four seasons. That shows you how good Lane Kiffin was as Alabama's offensive coordinator. Won a national championship with Jacob Coker. Uh, won the SEC. Made the playoff with Blake Sims. He is a QB whisperer. Obviously, Matt Corral was there the last few years. Matt Corral is going pro after this season. He participated in senior day. He is gone. And so I just bring it up to just say, this makes a lot of sense for me in terms of why Spencer Rattler would be interested in going Ole Miss and playing with Lane Kiffin. What is also interesting, I would say, I think you have to look at it from Lane Kiffin's perspective as well. I think any kid who enters the portal, any kid who enters the portal, um, you know, is going to want to play for Lane Kiffin. And so if Lane Kiffin does not believe, or if he already knows that Spencer Rattler, he does not believe is the best quarterback that will be in the portal this year, I think that he can go ahead and be patient in terms of who he actually pursues as his next quarterback for next season. 
again, Matt Corral's gone. There's an obvious opening. And I think Lane Kiffin, if, if he gets a speculation that somebody else that he's more interested could be leaving, remember, Ohio State had four really good quarterbacks this year. One of them, Jack Miller, has already entered the portal. Uh, beyond that, uh, you know, Quinn Ewers could enter the portal. Who knows? Uh, if Lane Kiffin believes there's going to be somebody out there better for him, then he could wait. But obviously, Ole Miss, Spencer Rattler, it would make a ton of sense because there is playing time there. After the first two, I will also readily admit it gets much fuzzier from there. I think the third team that makes a whole lot of sense is Arizona. Again, Spencer Rattler is from Arizona, but I also think it's going to be kind of a tough sell for Spencer Rattler. Remember, this is a guy that just finished his third year. He thought he'd be done with college football already, off to the NFL where he was going to be a first-round draft pick. Instead, he's in the transfer portal. And so the question with Arizona, which is coming off, and, and I thought they played about as well as you could expect under Jed Fish, but they still weren't very good in that first season at Arizona. Uh, under Jed Fish, they finished 1-11 overall, 1-8 in the Pac-12. The bottom line is, is there going to be just enough talent around him to go ahead and want to go to Arizona and basically put his career on the line playing behind a bad offensive line with not very much skill position? Now, could Jed Fish upgrade pretty quickly in the portal? He could. Do I think he will? I don't know. And so I just bring all that up to just very simply say that when I look at this situation, I don't know that Arizona makes a ton of sense. It obviously makes sense because he is from Arizona. I just don't know that it makes a ton of sense uh, because I just don't know if there will be enough talent around him going forward. A couple other schools that go to mind, TCU. Um, obviously, if you want to stay at the Power 5 level, Sonny Dykes, new head coach at TCU, he was at SMU, has had some of the best pass attacks in college football uh, over the last couple years at SMU. He is now, again, at TCU. This year, SMU ranked in the top 20 nationally in passing. And while TCU does have a returning starter at quarterback, new head coach, you'll have the opportunity to have success at TCU if you want it, if you get the opportunity to go in and uh, compete for that starting spot. The big thing, though, of course, at TCU is, like I just said, um, as of right now, their starting quarterback this past season, his name was Max Dugan. He is still planning on coming back next year, or he was only a junior this year, so he should be back. And so, again, do you want to go to a place where there is obvious competition at quarterback? I don't know. A couple other schools, uh, Texas A&M. I don't know if Texas A&M is interested. Remember, their, their starting quarterback this year, uh, Haynes King, got hurt. But, again, if they're looking for a quarterback, if they don't believe that Haynes King is the answer, then they could go to the portal. They also have a really good freshman coming in next year. But, again, just a one-year stopgap if you don't think Haynes King is the guy. I tend to think that Jimbo likes Haynes King, and so because of it, I, I don't think Spencer Rattler is realistic there. I don't think that AM will be hitting the portal for a quarterback. You know, UCLA with Dorian Thompson-Robinson probably gone after this year. A couple things with that. You know, I've seen a little UCLA buzz, and again, it makes sense. West Coast, they're going to need a starting quarterback. At the same time, there's a few things that jump to mind with UCLA. The first one, their backup actually played pretty well in limited minutes this year. Ethan Garbers, I thought he played pretty well in his time on the field. The other thing is I mentioned that, that Spencer Rattler, fair or not, has a little bit of a reputation. Chip Kelly has obviously become synonymous. You know, he's talked a lot about character and how important it is. So if he believes that Spencer Rattler is going to be a cause, a, 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 a distraction, whatever, then I don't know that that one makes sense. And then finally, the last one that I would say is, well, I'll tell you this. I'll give you one that, that I don't believe is going to happen. I've, I've seen it mentioned, and I don't buy it, is Oregon. 
I was told by somebody that I trust Oregon would not be interested in Spencer Rattler. They, of course, are going to lose a senior quarterback. They are going to be really good and really built to, to again, have success pretty much everywhere. Um, they're going to be built to have pretty much success anywhere uh, going forward. But but I they're, they're built – they have the pieces everywhere else other than quarterback is what I'm trying to say. So Spencer Rattler is in the portal. If I had to guess right now, I think the top two are very clear. It's either Arizona State or Ole Miss. I would expect this thing to move quickly, but those are the schools that I like for Spencer Rattler. I just want to do, I want to take a quick break. As promised, I want to come back, and I do want to talk a little hoops, talk a little Duke, talk a little Gonzaga, talk a little UCLA, what else I saw during – Feast Week in College Hoops. Be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I do want to switch gears. And as promised, like 100 years ago, it feels like I, I, it was Black Friday, but it feels like Black Friday was like three weeks ago based on the fact that all the sports that have happened since then, all the coaching changes that have happened since then, all the craziness that have happened since then, I said on the Black Friday episode, I said, look, give me a day. We'll talk college football. We'll talk college basketball. Then Lincoln Riley gets hired. It blows up the entire rundown for Monday. So Tuesday, we are finally here talking college basketball. I just want to share some thoughts that I had over the course of the last week, and most of it centering around two games that I was actually at in person in Las Vegas. I saw Gonzaga versus UCLA, one versus two on Tuesday night. And then Friday, I saw the iconic. It was really a great game. Duke Gonzaga Friday night at the T-Mobile Center in Las Vegas just one of the best early season college basketball games of the year really great atmosphere and now I've seen really four of probably the 10 best teams in the country because I did see Villanova against UCLA at Pauley Pavilion on top of that again Duke Duke Gonzaga on Friday UCLA Gonzaga on Tuesday with that said I want to share a couple thoughts first of all I'm going to focus probably mostly on this Duke Gonzaga game to start here it was a great game final four final score 84 81 what I would say is a couple things first of all just an unbelievable environment unbelievable atmosphere I've been going to college hoops games as long as I've been born uh, and this was one of the best neutral court games that I have ever been to Ironically, there were two that immediately came to mind in terms of atmosphere of college basketball games on neutral courts that I have been to in comparison to Friday night in Las Vegas, Gonzaga versus Duke. The first one was the six-overtime UConn-Syracuse game. I mean, that one was a little bit different. Two super local fan bases in New York, and obviously that game takes on iconic status. But from the first, you know, the, the jump ball in that game, It just felt electric in that building at Madison Square Garden that day. The other one was actually Kentucky versus North Carolina back in the 2016-2017 season when Malik Monk went off for 47 points against North Carolina in that game. That was an amazing atmosphere. I know a lot of Kentucky fans listen to this show. Many of you at least remember that game. I'm sure some of you were even at that game. But in terms of neutral court college basketball, it is about as good as it gets. And Duke and Zaga lived up to the hype. And, and, you know, really, obviously there were a lot of Gonzaga fans still in town from the game on Tuesday against UCLA. They also played Monday against Bellarmine. But on Friday... Uh, I started to notice there were a lot of Duke fans in town. Like I went to Top Golf with the family during the day on Friday. I was blown away by the number of Duke fans that were in town. Uh, as I was getting ready to go to the arena, I started to see them around the hotel lobby. I started to see them at the craps table, and you start to realize like like this is going to be a great game, and it delivered. Um, 
you know, obviously, look, you know, we're all kind of adjusting to this new post-COVID world, but that was essentially a sold-out arena at T-Mobile Center. Kind of a, a crazy stat. It was the most attended, highest attended basketball game in the history of the state of Nevada at over 20,300 people. I believe the final tally was 20,389. That is kind of a mind-boggling stat when you consider that UNLV, of course, won multiple national championships or they multiple Final Fours, won a national championship in 1990. So an incredible atmosphere, an incredible environment. And what I would say, an incredible game where both coaches afterward, I mean, you know, I've been in a, a handful of Coach K press conferences through the years, and he just kind of was shaking his head saying, like, guys, I hope you understand that was a big time game. That was a tough game. Mark Few said the same thing. It was funny. I saw my buddy Sam Vecini tweet this, and, and, and I noticed it during the game. But as soon as it went final, Mark Few and Coach K are kind of just shaking hands, like laughing to each other, like what did we just witness as an iconic, classic, early season game? I'm glad college basketball had it. I'm glad it was over the holiday weekend. Credit to Gonzaga and Duke fans for showing out for that game. With that said, I'm just going to say something that might be a little bit controversial, and that is that Duke is the number one team in the country. I don't think it's a debate. I don't think it's a discussion. And I will say, I think it's a little bit less controversial here on Tuesday. Duke, I should mention, is playing tonight, by the way, so hopefully they don't embarrass me. They're playing at Ohio State in the Big Twelve AC, the Big 10 ACC Challenge. But I bring it up to just say that I believe Duke is the best team in the country. It's a little bit less controversial now that they are the number one team in America, according to the AP poll. But what really stood out to me was three things. First of all, they were the first team to really challenge Gonzaga. And remember, Gonzaga to this point had played two early conference tests prior to Duke. They had played Texas, which started in the preseason top 10, top 5, excuse me, and they largely took care of Texas. That one was never even close. It was in Spokane, and so you wondered, is it the home court environment? What is it? They took care of Texas, 86-74. And then, of course, as I said, they took care of UCLA, 83-63 on Tuesday night. And so coming into this game, they were rolling. A lot of you texted me, DM me, said, is this again the best team in college basketball? And we'll get to Gonzaga in a second. But the fact that Duke was able to beat them says to me that they're the best team in the country. And I actually thought Duke did as good of a job, if not a better job defensively, as anyone that has faced Gonzaga all year. That might sound crazy. That might seem weird. Gonzaga, of course, scored 81 points in that game. So you're probably sitting there saying, how could Duke do so well on defense? Well, first of all, Duke held them to 6 of 21 shooting from 3. Um, Gonzaga came in shooting about 37% from 3 in that game. And on top of that, they forced 17 turnovers. Gonzaga had come in averaging 11 turnovers in that game. And so that was what really stood out to me, was that defensively, Duke did about as good of a job as you possibly can do. And that was what sealed the deal for me that Duke is the number one team in the country. And as I peel back the layers and I wrote a little bit, a little article about it at Aaron Torres online about the game that you can find there, um, I, I, I believe Duke is the best team in the country. I thought they were really good after the Kentucky game. And I believe that they are even better after this game. And there are frankly a couple reasons why. I think the first reason is they got the best player in college basketball. And you can argue about this guy should be National Player of the Year. Is it Drew Timmy? Is it this? Is it that? Uh, I saw Drew Timmy and Paulo Bancaro on, on a court together. It wasn't even debatable. Paulo Bancaro finishes with 21 points. Uh, and by the way, he missed most of the second half of that game because of cramps, which we'll get into in a minute. Drew Timmy played well, 17 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists. But at the same time, uh, Paulo Bancaro is the best player in college basketball. And listen, I get some stuff right, I get some stuff wrong. We'll do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong tomorrow. 
I've been telling you guys for two years. I, I remember when Paulo Bancaro committed to Duke. I remember when Paulo Bancaro visited Kentucky as a junior with Cade Cunningham. I believe, uh, you know, rest in peace, Terrence Clark was there as well. I remember saying at that time, I said, Paulo Bancaro, I have seen this kid. I said, he could be an all-conference player in a Power 5 program as a junior in high school. Well, fast forward, he had 17 first-half points in this game uh, and was clearly the best player on the floor. It was funny. My uncle was at the game. He is a Duke alum. He went to Duke Law School, and I sat with him for part of the game. And, I, you know, he loves Duke, but, he, you know, he doesn't watch basketball every single day. And I said, that's the dude right there. That's the number one pick. And as they're warming up, you kind of don't really notice one guy from the other. And about four minutes into the game, he was like, oh, yeah, that guy is different than everybody else on the court. So, one... The reason I believe Duke is the best team in the country, they got the best player in college basketball. Now, what's more important as it pertains to this conversation in the Gonzaga game is that Paulo Bancaro played very well in the first half. He was out almost the entire second half with cramps. And on top of that, Trevor Keels, who was so great in that opener against Duke, had probably against Kentucky, had probably his worst game in a Duke uniform, finishing two for 11 from the field, one for five from three. Well, guess what ended up happening? You guys know what happened. Uh, Mark Williams was awesome. Center down low, who's only a sophomore, 17 points, nine rebounds, five blocks. And Wendell Moore, Wendell Moore, a junior, 20 points and six rebounds along with four steals. And he was really the guy late that made all the plays as Paulo Bancaro was dealing with cramps. And so when I look at Duke, they not only have the best player, but to beat Gonzaga on a day where the best player in college basketball is out with cramps, can't even play, and where Trevor Keels goes two for 11, that shows me they got three, four, five guys that can take over games when you absolutely need to. Wendell Moore is actually a very interesting story. I actually asked Coach K about him in the postgame press conference, and Coach K referenced the fact that Wendell Moore actually had some kind of, it's either bow-legged or pigeon-toed or whatever, but he had to completely re... This is, this is so crazy, right? Because I asked Coach K, I said, Coach, you know, um, this is a kid that was a five-star kid coming out of high school, uh, it took him time. You know, just talk about the process, like some super boring media question that probably none of you guys would care about if you're not a Duke fan. But he he talked about the fact that Wendell Moore um, had to relearn how to run um, over the course of this offseason because of the fact that he is either bow-legged or pig, pigeon-toed or whatever. And now this kid has has reshaped his body and is now one of the best players in college basketball. And so when you look at a team, that could play a Gonzaga team who I thought played pretty well, and we're going to get to Gonzaga in a minute, and they didn't even have their two best players play well, that shows to me how good they are. The third reason with Duke, it's pretty simple. It really is very simple. It's very much straightforward, and it comes down to what I said after the Kentucky game. This team's defense is elite, and it's funny, right? I know we like to criticize Coach K and poke at Coach K and make fun of Coach K, and listen, have I been guilty of it through the years? Of course. He's an easy sitting target, sitting duck, whatever. But the thing that I was most impressed about coming out of that Kentucky game was the fact that Coach K had his team ready to play, not offensively, but against a veteran-grown Kentucky team, he had them ready to play defensively as well. Kentucky, who has been playing very well as I record here, they're actually playing Central Michigan. I got that game kind of on in the background as I'm recording. Uh, Kentucky has been steamrolling everybody since that game, and Kentucky could not get a good look at the basket when they were playing Duke. And that's not a shot at Kentucky. That's not saying they're not good. I think they're actually very good. 
But it shows to me just how good this Duke team is defensively. And like I said, like I said, um, they held Gonzaga to 6 of 21 shooting from 3. They held Gonzaga. They forced 17 turnovers against Gonzaga. By far the best effort of the season. And so look, you know what I would say, and I, I did write a little bit about it uh, at Aaron Torres Online. You can go back and read the article. College basketball is a funny sport, right? College basketball, college basketball is so different than college football. College football, you have to be locked in from day one, hour one, minute one. Georgia plays Clemson in week one. You lose that game. You have questions to answer that day. So when I say Duke is the best team in the country, it's not to say that other teams can't rise, other teams can't step up. But what I am telling you is, is that right now they got all the pieces. And doesn't mean they'll be there in March. Doesn't mean they're the best team in the country come you know April 2nd when the championship is determined or whatever it is. But I'm just telling you, right now they're the best team in the country. It feels a lot less controversial now that they're number one in the AP poll. But this Duke team is really, really, really good. Let's talk Gonzaga really quick. Again, saw them in person. They played UCLA on Tuesday. They were the UCLA was, of course, ranked number two in the country at the time. They have fallen a little bit in the most recent top 25 poll uh, to number five. And they played Gonzaga on, or Gonzaga played Duke on Friday. And what I would say was, coming out of that Duke game, I really had the thought. I said, I don't want to do this. But I was talking to a buddy of mine in the media on Friday before the Gonzaga-Duke game, and I said, if the Zags blow out Duke right now, you understand that whole cycle from last year is starting over again. Is this team better than last year? Are they going to go undefeated? Is this the year they win the national championship? Now, that ultimately did not end up happening, but what I would say is a couple things. One, Gonzaga is really good offensively, and, and I don't know if they'll be better than last year. Again, you lose two first-round picks in Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert. Joel is also gone. My guy, I love him. I miss him. But at the same time, to see Gonzaga in person. I talked about this a little bit with Villanova. Villanova is more of the fundamental ball fake this, that. Gonzaga is more the European passing, cutting, spacing, moving, and it was breathtaking to watch, okay? And so this is not a knock on Gonzaga for losing to Duke. I think those were the two best teams in college basketball. And what I saw from Gonzaga was a team that I believe is not only once again built to compete for a national championship, not saying this will be the year, but... I actually believe, as weird as it sounds, they might be better equipped, they might be a more complete team than last year. Because if you go back to last year, and I talked about it a ton on this show, last year, that was a team that had to outscore you. And I kept saying all year, now I picked them to win the national championship in my bracket, so I'm not sitting here saying I was perfect. But I said, at some point, someone is going to figure out how to slow down that offense, and it's going to be, can they make enough defensive stops to win a national championship? UCLA almost did it in the Final Four. Baylor did do it in the National Championship game. Well, this year, that's what stood out in the UCLA game. With Chet Holmgren, I don't quite buy the hype as a potential number one overall pick, but defensively, I will say, he does change games in a way that Gonzaga was not able to change games last year. This is a guy around the rim that can block shots, and at the very least, he alters a ton of shots. And I don't think you can undersell how important the fact that he alters shots is. In that uh, uh, Gonzaga-UCLA game on Tuesday night, he finished with four blocks. I would love to know how many shots he altered at the rim because UCLA seemingly had no answer for him uh, against Gonzaga, and I think that shows how good Gonzaga is. Is UCLA, are they the number two team in the country? Probably not, but they're probably somewhere in the top 10, and Gonzaga jumped out on them early, 
and UCLA was never able to get back in. So that's my big takeaway on Gonzaga. I think they're a little bit more complete this year, maybe not quite as explosive offensively, but they are better defensively, especially around the rim than they've been. And what I would also say about Gonzaga offensively is it's worth noting. I mean, they got some dudes now that can make some plays on offense as well. That was what kind of blew me away with this team on offense was the idea that uh, Drew Timmy goes for 37 against Texas and we think, oh my goodness, this is by far the best player in college basketball. You know what happened against UCLA? It was Andrew Nemhard who played for my buddy Mike White at, at uh, Florida who finished with 24 points, six, six assists, five rebounds, three steals, one of the best performances of the season. And then against Duke, Duke shuts down Andrew Nemhard, and you know what ends up happening from there? Uh, Julian Strother, who barely even played last year, uh, a, a, a sophomore from the from the Southern Cal uh, the Las Vegas area, excuse me, if it's from Las Vegas, I forgot about that. Um, he finishes with twenty points, and so you talk about three different games against three top five teams, all with a different score. I think this Gonzaga team is really good. I think they are better defensively. And I do think there's somebody you have to worry about going for. A couple other notes from across Feast Week. The first one I would say, let's just get to UCLA really quick. UCLA, as I said, they lost to Gonzaga. And I'll tell you, you know, I give Mick Cronin credit. He came in after that, uh, after that game against Gonzaga, and he just said, we're not good enough right now. And I'll be honest, right? And we'll talk about it where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong on Wednesday's show. But keep in mind, uh, many of you, when I picked UCLA number one in the preseason, and I picked them to go to the Final Four. What did a lot of you guys say? You said, Torres, they had one good run in March when it mattered. I don't know that I believe that, but I don't know that I believe that they're the number one team or number two team or number five team in the country either. And it starts really on the defensive end, where one, Gonzaga did, did, uh, you know, did a great job of shutting them down offensively. They only shot 34% from the field, two of 12 from three. But more importantly, defensively, they were a mess. And Mick Cronin kind of stormed into the press conference, and I give him credit. He said, we're not good enough right now. These guys know it, and it's up to them. And I actually, you know, you talk about press conferences, I asked Mick Cronin about it. I said, Coach, is this something that, um, you know, these players need to figure out? What, what about it? And he said, look, we don't have the answers right now. And I do wonder with UCLA, does it come down to the fact that, um, you know, was there a little too much preseason hype, I guess? And, and, and sometimes, I'll say this about college basketball, there are times where, as weird as it sounds, returning too many players is a bad thing. And I think a lot of those UCLA guys maybe read a few too many of their press clippings, believe that they were ready, uh, you know, that they really were the number one or number two team in the country, forgetting that they went into the NCAA tournament as an 11 seed last year. I'm not saying that's definitively what happened, but I do think maybe a little bit too many press clippings in the preseason. I'd also note their, their starting center, Cody Riley, was out for this game. Now, he's a little bit undersized, but he is tough as nails down low. He is physical, and he brings kind of that mental toughness that this program needs as well. So it's worth noting there, but I just bring this up to say that I do believe and I do wonder, um, you know, where this team should probably be ranked. I would say probably somewhere in the four, you know, probably somewhere in the five to 12 range. I don't know that they're one of the two or three best teams in the country. They're not better than Duke. They're not better than Gonzaga. That's for sure. Uh, but I don't think they're that bad either. Really quick, couple other notes. You know, Memphis, we'll talk about Memphis tomorrow, Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong. But, I mean, what else is there to say? I, I did get to watch a ton of of their game on Wednesday against Virginia Tech. They win that one 69-61. Sloppy game, a game where they really did not look uh, uh, competent, for lack of a better term, 14 turnovers, 5 of 19 from 3. Uh, my uh, One of my writers from Aaron Torres Online, Zach Curl, was actually at that game 
and then he went back on Friday. And it's so funny because Iowa State, when they played Iowa State, they, Iowa State was about a 12-point underdog, and I almost bet it. I was in Vegas, remember, and I almost bet it. And true story, I go to the ticket window, go to place my bet, and the machine breaks as I try to place my bet. And I said, maybe that's a sign I shouldn't be betting this game. Uh, Iowa State won by 19, okay? And so what it comes down to with Memphis is what it always comes down to is Penny Hardaway, great recruiter. He gets that team to play really hard on defense, but do the puzzle pieces fit? And is this a guy that understands how to put a roster together? Not that he can't recruit talent, but he has a team full of guys that all think they should play. There is no true point guard on this roster, and it showed in that loss to Iowa State. They finished shooting 30, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, 35% from three, six of 17. 22 turnovers in that game. I believe Iowa State had about 24 points off turnovers. And, like, I don't think they're a terrible team. I don't think they're going to go 10 and 22. But you got two top five picks in the draft on your roster. You got Earl Timberlake, my buddy Zach, who was at the game, who covered it for Aaron Torres online. Like he said, point blank, they look like an NBA team. He's covered NBA games, and, and they look like an NBA team coming into the gym. So at some point with Penny Hardaway, I mean, he's got to deliver, but they lose. I will say Memphis, they have a little time to, to, to use a, a bad zoological term to lick their, their wounds. They do play Georgia this coming week, then Ole Miss. Then they do have Alabama and Tennessee in the middle of December. So we're going to find out pretty quick how good this team is. Really excited to see them against better competition, but I think they have a lot of work to do going forward. Um and look, I'll say this, we'll get into some other Feast Week stuff throughout the, the next couple days, and, and really as we get more and more into college basketball, there's going to be less college football once we get through this week, but college basketball is starting to ramp up for sure, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, look, I thought, um, I thought, uh, uh, you know, I thought that my UConn Huskies looked pretty good, I really did, um, you know, I know they lost the second game to Michigan State, they played a classic against Auburn on Wednesday day I believe I actually was able to watch that game in its entirety it was kind of an off day with hoops hung out with my mom who's a UConn alum we watched that game they were awesome they look really good I believe that they are a final four contender I picked them to make the final four I saw nothing this week that I didn't like they almost came back and beat Michigan State the following day by the way despite uh playing two overtimes against Auburn liked what I saw from UConn obviously dating back to last weekend Purdue going to Mohegan Sun and getting the, the two wins there. I'll tell you, Villanova, really interesting team. Purdue beats them, but Villanova was in control for about 34 minutes, just like they were in control for 34 minutes against Pauley Pavilion, against UCLA at Pauley Pavilion. I do wonder if Villanova has the size and Villanova has the depth to withstand these big physical teams that they're going to face sometime throughout the NCAA tournament in March Madness. Um, Baylor winning Atlantis. Baylor looks awesome. Probably will watch them a little bit closer this coming week. And, of course, Arkansas taking care of Cincinnati and Kansas City. Uh, that was a fun one as well. So I'm sure I'm missing some stuff. But, listen, we, we have the next five months to talk college basketball. And I cannot wait to do stuff uh, surrounding that. But with that said, I do have to get out of here. What a show. What a show. You know, you guys asked for college hoops and I delivered. You asked for Spencer Rattler? Well, I don't know if you asked for Spencer Rattler, but I delivered. And this LSU search is so fascinating. How about that for like a 50-minute bonus episode? That's just what the kid does, baby. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, make sure that you're subscribed. Aaron Torres Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise, 
Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I'll be back Wednesday with a normal episode. But again, how about this 50-minute bonus episode? It's what we do, baby. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.